Good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. I'm going to tell you some stories tonight. Tell you some stories. I believe that what is meant to be yours will come to you. You won't have to hurt anybody to get it. You won't have to force it. You won't have to lose your mind with worry and anxiety. I believe that uh, it's got your name on it. And uh, every good and every perfect gift is from above. Cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness. Which means, of course, he never changes. Neither shadow of turning. So, you can't see that. That's that's my shadow. It's not my substance. There's not even there's not even the hint. Not even the hint that he's going to change. I should have brought it, but I've been trying to be uh, moving today, harder to hit a moving target. <clears throat> I kind of got the plague right now, and so don't take this personal, but when service is over, I'm going to step out of here because uh, I love you, but I don't want to be around you tonight. Or I shouldn't say I don't want to be around you. I don't want you to be around me. Okay. And um, the first bow that I ever had was a stick off of a hickory tree. I wish I would have kept it. My dad had an old fly rod. And uh, it had this heavy green string on it. And he cut this limb off of this hickory tree, skinned it so it would be all, whatever, white and shiny, put a couple notches on the end of it, and then bent it and put this a piece of that green string from his fly rod on it. He used to have these stores when I was a kid, Western Auto. They were all over the country, but... They went bankrupt many years ago. I went to the Western Auto Store and I bought two arrows. They had a big box of them in there. They, I don't remember what I paid for it. I do remember that I shot those arrows until the feathers fell off of them. And so, based on that, my dad said, you know, let's, let's get him something a little bit better. So I still remember I was eight years old. It was Christmas Day. And I got a box called Ben Pearson Archery in it. And um, it had a, a bow and a little quiver. And it had three arrows and a target cheap target and a little 
finger pad. You put three fingers in there, pull it back. And I have pictures at home of me shooting that bow. I, I just remember just almost sleeping with the thing. Just years. It just seemed like I shot that thing. So it was not uncommon for uh, whatever. My mom, my dad, whatever, they took pictures of me, just a little kid shooting that bow. Well, it was small, and as I grew, uh, my dad bought me a better bow. And um, when I graduated from high school, he asked me, he said, uh, what would you like? And because uh, everybody was getting a, a class ring. And, and uh, he would have bought me a class ring. And I had friends and, and my, I had a neighbor. He had this big gaudy class ring. My dad, he would, I knew he wasn't going to influence me. But I said, I tell you what, daddy. The last thing I want is a class ring. Because once you get out of high school, you're kind of embarrassed to wear the stupid thing. And, and a lot of guys just give it to some girl. They had this thing called Angora. I don't know if you know what it, they, it was. Boys' rings were always too big for girls. So they'd wrap this yarn, fuzzy yarn, around that ring. I thought that was just dumb. I said, I'll tell you what I really want. I want a new bow. And he said, attaboy, attaboy. So he said, I'll buy you whatever you want. I still remember we went to Pittsburgh, which was the big city close to where I lived. And uh, went into this place that was the spot where all the really good hunters went. And he said, pick out whatever you want. And so I did, boy. I, I picked out a brand new bow and a brand new quiver and a box, a dozen arrows. And man, I was styling. I was styling. And uh, I, I, I kept that one for many, many, many years. I sold it a couple years ago to some fellow in Pontiac that wanted it. But I had this little bow that uh, was my first real bow and so I I was I always kept my stuff I always did I I was an only child and so I never I never broke my stuff I always kept it in the box and and man I go on eBay now and I see what some of them toys are worth oh man I wish I would have hung on to some of that stuff but I had a dad who wasn't sentimental at all and uh, <laughs> he ended up, mother and daddy ended up moving to a little town in Illinois, Clinton, Illinois. It was just a small town. It was well known, though, because that's where the nuclear power plant was. And I played a role in, in them uh, becoming the, the leader of that church. And the apartment 
was in the church. And so that's my dad being my dad, remodeled it, fixed it up, painted it, made it nice. While they were gone one day, somebody broke in to the apartment and stole just about everything they could get their hands on. And one of the things they stole was my bow that I was on the road and traveling and a lot of my stuff was with them. And uh, that was just, I don't know, I won't call it heartbreaking, but uh, it disappointed me that I had lost that thing. So, I don't know, about five years ago, I was thinking, I'll get on eBay and I'll buy me one of these bows. Very, see if I can find one that was similar to the one I had. And I found one that looked to me to be awful close to what I had. I bought it for 20 bucks. When it came to the house, it surprised me because it was postmarked Clinton, Illinois. Clinton, Illinois. And when I opened the box, I pulled out this bow. <laughs> and it's got this notch right here that I sawed in it when I was 10 years old because I always like to mark my stuff so nobody else would confuse it. <laughs> I bought the bow that someone stole from my dad's house on eBay. And there it is. I was given that bow when I was eight years old and some bum stole it and I got it back. <laughs> Explain that. I can't. I can't. I just guess it was meant to be mine and it didn't matter what happened one way or another, that thing was going to end up in my possession. And I think there are things in all of our lives that you may think somebody swiped it. Somebody took something that belonged to you. And they may have. But I truly believe that if it's yours, it's going to come to you or come back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. That's the God that we serve. I, I, I just, I believe that. I, 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 I did a Bible study here years ago. And I went by Kroger's and I bought this giant bag of potato chips. Family chips. I forget what brand it was. Just a, it was a big dude, man. And I took a pair of scissors and I cut two inches off the bag, no chips. I cut two more inches off the bag, no chips are showing. I cut half the bag away. Just then, we started to see some chips popping in the top of the bag. I read the fine print to the church that night. Contents may. <laughs> Contents may have settled. 
duty shipping. But this product was vacuum packed, which means I paid for air. And it was full when it left our factory. I've never had a full bag of chips. I've never had a full bag of pretzels. And I know lots about both. There's always a big air ball in the top of the chip bag. But the Lord, there's quality control in heaven. The Bible said before it leaves him, he shakes it, he presses it down, and he's going to make sure when it gets to us, it's running over. There's no vacuum packing in heaven. Jesus had to know to the exact bite how much it took to feed them 5,000 people. But the Bible said there was baskets that remained. I've never heard anybody preach about that, but who in the world was it that had the foresight to bring a basket to a Bible study with Jesus? Because they just knew there's going to be leftovers. There's going to be a bounty. There's going to be more than enough. Jesus one time said, if your child asked for a piece of bread, would you give him a snake? And he said, if he asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? And then he said, if ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall the heavenly Father give the holy things to them that ask him? And I just, how much more? How much more? I, I, this concept, it, I, I, I wish you could have known my wife's grandfather and grandmother. They, they really were special people. R.G. or Ralph, he was six foot five. Nellie, I don't even know if she was four foot tall. I don't know. It was so, he was this tall, thin dude, big old shock of white hair, and she was just this tiny little thing by his side. I was a young preacher, and I was in their house in Circleville, Ohio. Renee and I had just been married a couple weeks. And uh, he said, uh, what are you going to do with your ministry? What do you, what do you? And I said, well, I, I'm, I'm traveling right now. I, I really don't know what I'm going to do. And he said, why don't you start a church here? There's no church here. And, and I, I, you know, I went to Bible school, so I gave him the, the Bible school answer. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't know if the Lord's called me to be here. And he said this, there's souls here. And the Lord called us to witness the lost souls. So what's the problem? 
Come here. Win some lost souls. And I just, it really, it's like, it can't be that easy. You know, because the will of God is like voodoo. You know, it's this deep, dark, mystical something that <clears throat> you, you strive for, but you never quite ever attain. I heard those people take that, where is it? Romans 12, to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect. They so see there, there's a good will of God. There's an acceptable will of God. There's a perfect will of God. Okay. And it just made the water muddier for me. But when he said that to me, it was like, I couldn't argue with his reasoning. They were lost. I was commissioned to witness to them. What's the problem? I was in Atlanta. We had just finished a house and a church. I liked Atlanta. I won't kid you. I really did. I liked Atlanta. I was in Mississippi last week. I liked the South. I could have very easily lived there. I thought we were going to. And we had been in this house about, it couldn't have been more than three months. I remember because all we really had were curtains. That was it. We didn't have any furniture. Um, every Renee's grandmother and my grandmother had given us, they called them doilies, just beautiful crocheted pieces of material. Renee, being Renee, wanting to make, she took cardboard boxes and she covered them with these doilies. Looked like we had really nice furniture. It was just cardboard boxes with a piece of material on top of it. We had one nice chair that I had bought at a flea market. Renee liked it. I bought it for her for her birthday. Billy Cole came to speak for us. Billy Cole was a big boy. I'd say he was 600 pounds. And uh, he sat on that chair. I don't know how old that chair was. I do remember that when Billy walked out of our house, he wasn't gone 15 minutes, and Renee and I were in the living room, and the chair literally just fell apart. <laughs> Both of the arms just went, and the back fell down, and it was just flat. You know, he just, he killed it. He just, he killed the one piece of furniture we had. And, you know, but that never bothered us. We, for years, pretty much everything in our house we found on trash day. We just always enjoyed getting stuff that people threw away and painting it and gluing it and sanding it up. It, it, it was years before we had a set of dining room chairs that matched. Uh, they were always different. And we just enjoyed that. And uh, uh, I remember it was our 30th 30th wedding anniversary, and I told Renee, look, you don't have a nice wedding ring, and all these other women have a nice diamond ring. Would you like me to buy you a diamond ring for, your 30th, for our 30th anniversary? And she said, you know what I really want, Harold? I want two couches that match. 
<laughs> she said, I, I could care less about a ring, but I, want, I would like to have two couches that I could face. So that was her 30th anniversary present, two couches. We'd been there maybe three months. We were driving down the road and she just looked at me and she said, Jesus, we're done, aren't we? We're done. And I said, yep, we are. And she said, it was like it just lifted off of us. We'd been there for three years. And <clears throat> Brittany was just a baby when we brought her. Ashley was just a couple months old. It was just like it wasn't home anymore. And I was so grateful that it happened to her and not just me. And she said, where are we going? And I said, I don't have a clue. The next day, the pastor of this church called me and said, I've made the decision to leave. I would like you to take my place. Would you be interested in moving to Michigan? So I told Renee what was going on. I had this elder that I deeply respected named J.T. Pugh, and I called him and I said, I don't know what to do. We just built a house. We just finished the church. The church is growing. It's a great city. Should I go or should I stay here? And he said, well, I think I can help you. He said, I was in Port Arthur, Texas. I had just built a brand new house. And I had just remodeled a church building. And I got a call to go to St. Louis, Missouri to be the home missions director. And he said, I, I went to the church and said, God, I am not leaving this building until you tell me what to do. I don't know how long he stayed there. If I remember, it was several hours. He went in a Sunday school room and was praying. And I, I don't ever like to say, God told me, you know that. I'm, I, that just doesn't. But he said, I felt strongly impressed of the Lord. I'll be with you if you go. And he said, I stood up and I grabbed the handle of that door to get out of that Sunday school room. And the Lord dealt with me again and said, but I'll be with you if you stay. <laughs> And he said, Harold, if you want to stay in Atlanta, stay in Atlanta. God will honor you and you'll build a church there. But if you want to go to Michigan, my advice to you is go up there and preach. See how you feel. And if you feel good and you feel safe, then go. Because Abraham was blessed wherever he went. God will be with you if you stay in Atlanta and God will be with you if you go to Michigan. And that's how I ended up here. And uh, I, uh, we had this building, some of you remember. It was an old school building in Madison Heights. Had a lot of asbestos in it. <clears throat> had baby blue shag carpet. <clears throat> Flat roofs. A lot of the roofs were leaking 
I still remember the mushrooms that kept growing in one Sunday school class because it always leaked. This man called me. His name was Bob Ode, a real estate agent. And he said, someone wants to buy your building. We, we didn't even have it listed. Would you like to sell your building? And I said, oh, yeah, I'd love to sell this building. How much do you want for it? He laughed. Be be realistic with me, Pastor Hoffman. How much, what's your lowest you would go? And I said, I can't can't go less than $500,000. There's no way with the price of land and what it's going to take to build something. I can't even consider moving for less than that. And he said... Okay, I'll give your offer to the people. He called me the next day. and He said, um, <clears throat> they think your price is exorbitant and they're going to look elsewhere. So I thought the door was closed. The next day he called me and he said, you ain't going to believe this. He said, there's another group that came to my office. They want to buy your building. And they got cash. And he said, I told him, you wouldn't consider taking less than $500,000 for that building. And he said, they didn't, they didn't even blink. He said, tell the man we'd like to have the building. So that's how we ended up selling our building, or the building that we had, to the Korean Methodist Church. They had cash. Hallelujah. So... We had about $50,000 in savings. We made a deal with them, which was, again, it was a God thing. We, told, we asked them, you know, they said, what are your conditions? We want $500,000. Number two, we don't want to move until our building's done. And number three, we don't want to change our service schedule. And they said, well, that's no problem. Uh, we have church on a Sunday afternoon and on Tuesday. You have church on Wednesday, Sunday morning and Sunday night. No problem. You keep your schedule. We'll keep our schedule. We'll give you $500,000. And the only thing you have to pay is your phone bill. We'll pay everything else. Amen. Where do I sign? That's how we sold that building. So I'm a young preacher and I've got $550,000 in cash. And I know I got to park this somewhere to get some mildew and some mold growing on it. Interest. A lady was coming occasionally to our church back then. And she said, My husband would like to talk to you. And her husband had a kind of a shady reputation. Would you be willing to talk to my husband? I said, okay, I'll talk to your husband. So he comes to me and he said, I have a group of investors that are willing to offer you 200,000, 200% interest on your $550,000 if you'll let them have it for six months. 
And I'm doing the math, and it's like, wow. It's a lot of zeros. So I went to this warehouse in Warren, and I went into this room, and there were eight men in that room. They gave me three single-spaced pieces of paper with dozens of pieces of equipment, bulldozers and excavators and all this stuff on there. And they said, we'll give you this equipment as collateral if you'll give us the $550,000 for six months. And we will basically triple your money in six months if you'll let us have it. We're cash poor and we need this money right now. This little guy with this red flag starts running around inside of me. And I said, well, gentlemen, I have a church board. Let me, I'm not authorized to make this kind of deal with you by myself. Let me take your proposal back to the trustees. And if they're amenable to it, we'll see if we can strike a deal. I couldn't get out of that room fast enough. I did not say one thing to the trustees of this church. But we had this lady who was the commercial banker for the church. I contacted her and she said, Pastor Hoffman, and this was, you know, Late 80s, interest rates were going crazy. She said, we can give you 19% interest on commercial paper if you're willing to invest your money. Yes, ma'am. So I took the 550 that we had and I bought commercial paper with what at that time was the predecessor to Chase Bank. And that thing just started, you know... (laughs) It's amazing what interest does when you're on the other side, you know. It's one thing to have a mortgage. You know what that's about. But when you get that mortgage paid off and you can invest that money, that interest works 24 hours a day for you. And it just kept growing and growing and growing. By the time we got ready to build this building with what the people had had given and and we had $850,000 in cash. It was astounding. So, I don't know, it was probably maybe two years after we moved into this building. We moved in this building 1991. I, I, I want to say it was 1993. I had a friend that was in Waterford named Tony Koppel. And he was trying to dig out a church there. and It was hard. It was just a hard duty assignment. And... <clears throat> And the church was beginning to flourish. And I just, I wanted to do something for him. And I knew it was his birthday. And I said, Tony, it's your birthday. I want to take you out for dinner. Go anywhere you want and I'll pay. And he he said, anywhere? And I said, yep, anywhere you want to go. So I went over and picked him up. and, And he took me to this place called the Marcus Red Fox on Telegraph. 
he ordered something called Chateaubriand. I'm lucky I can even pronounce it. I had no idea what it was. If you're a, if you're a deer hunter, it's the backstrap of a cow. The most expensive part of the cow. I still remember it, 110 bucks for his birthday present. I couldn't believe you'd spend that much money on a piece of cow. And the waiter said, it's going to take an hour for us to cook this thing. So just, you're going to have to wait a little while. Okay. So we're waiting on them to cook this tenderloin. I'm bored. So I get up and I'm walking around. This, it was a nice restaurant. And I saw this door was open and it, it looked kind of like a paneled room. And I just opened the door and walked in. And them same eight guys that were in that warehouse were sitting in that room. And when I walked in, it's perfectly quiet. But by then, I knew who they were. Anthony Giacalone was there. His brother Vito was there. I could name several other names. I just stepped out. I went back and I sat down. Waiter came to the table. And I said, what are them guys doing in that room over there? And he said, don't you know what today is? You know, Tuesday. No, 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 no. This is July 30th, Tony's birthday. He said, this is the last place that Jimmy Hoffa was ever seen. And he disappeared from that porch right there on the 30th of July. This is the last place he was ever seen alive. And every year on July the 30th, that same bunch of guys comes and rents that room and have a big party. <laughs> and all I could do was thank God for that little guy with that red flag inside of me that went, You don't want to do this. Ladies and gentlemen, that, that little voice in you, it'll tell you the truth. It'll tell you the truth. If you're walking with God, that, 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 that guy with that red flag is very much alive. And not only is there a guy in there with a red flag, there's a guy in there with a green flag. And they'll let you know whether to go or whether to stay. I, I really believe your steps are ordered. Ordered. Bible said your times, your times are in his hands. And, and I don't know how many times I've said this to you, but it happened to me. And so I guess that's why it's so real to me. I, I was on a plane coming here from Memphis on, on, on Friday night. Or no, Sunday night. It was late at night. My wife and I, we, I, I, we left here. 
I don't know how much church I was in last week. I ought to be levitated off the ground right now, three inches. I'd have wings on my back. I was in church for hours and hours and hours. And I was going to come home Friday, and this pastor begged me to stay. And I should have come home, but I, I, I stayed. And Sunday was just an eternal day. We, we got up early, and, and <clears throat> we went to church, and we, we had to wait several hours before the first plane came. And it was late, and finally we got to Atlanta and sat on that plane for I don't know how. And I, we got home about 2.30, I think, mon- Monday morning. It was, I, I was, and then I had to drive home, you know, and I, I was, I didn't even know what planet I was on. Boy, we had a pocket of air on that plane. <laughs> this girl beside of me on the plane, she said, you're Pastor Hoffman, aren't you? And I said, well, I I try to be. (laughs) Why? She said, I work for Portable Church. And she said, I remember when you and your team came and worked with us to do the church in Royal Oak. And uh, she said, "I I don't remember a lot of our customers, but I remember you. And I remember the people around you. And I remember Jamil. And I remember others. And and boy, that, that plane was shaking. And this guy beside of me, I don't know how many of them little bottles of booze he had drunk. But he was scared. And it affected this girl on the other side. And I just looked at her and I said, listen, baby doll. We ain't going down tonight. And she said, why would you? I said, I believe I'm indestructible until God's done with me. And God's not done with me yet. God gave me a vision years ago of a building on a piece of dirt over there. And I'm going to at least be alive to see that building built. Don't worry, we're going to be okay. And it just kind of settled her down. And it was just, I believe that. I've, I've had, there's probably not a person of any age in this room that hasn't had a time when you probably thought you were going to die. And God took care of you. And God delivered you. And I truly believe if he's not done with us, I don't care what comes. And it's not always going to be fun. But we're going to be spared. Spared for a reason. Spared for a purpose. And it's just, the the Bible says a, a a just man. Not an unjust man. A just man falls seven times. (laughs) That's a lot of falling. You know, when you're a baby, you you fall all the time. But the older you get, you get better at walking. I fell last week. I'm 66. I ought to have walking perfected. But I don't care how old you get. you, You still have the ability to fall. Just man falls, but he picks himself. I, I, you, you've, you've heard this. I'm sure you've heard it, but it's in, it's in Micah, one of them little books in the Old Testament. Micah 7 and 8. Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. 
And when I'm sitting, have you ever sat in darkness? When I sit in darkness, the Lord is going to be a light unto me. Praise God. You know what the Bible said? Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And we think morning is sunrise, but technically a.m. starts at one minute after midnight. They could still be dark, but it's morning. And in the middle of our darkest days, it said he's going to be a light unto us. People, that doesn't, see, I, that's why I keep telling people, don't take up somebody else's cause. Because God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Not for anybody else. It's sufficient for you. And if, and if you take up somebody else's cause, you think somebody's been done wrong or whatever. Let me tell you what, God's going to give them grace to be able to walk through it and get over it and find a place of forgiveness and reconciliation. If you're not careful and you take that too serious, you'll stay bitter. Because God ain't giving you grace. You ain't going through it. You're just walking with somebody that does. But I promise you, you go through something, God's going to give you the grace to be able to go through that thing and to do it with the class and to do it with the faith that he called us to do. Because isn't salvation based on death, burial, and resurrection? I mean, when you think of it... (laughs) The whole reason for salvation is based on somebody who got up again. Got up again. There were two things I would like to give Jesus. I would love to give Jesus a watch and I'd like to give him a calendar. Because it's like, God, do you really know what today is? Do you really know what time it is? And, and, and the bottom line is, what's meant to be ours? It may take a while. It might drift. You might lose it temporarily. But if it's right, it's going to find its way back to you. You read the book of Genesis chapter. This is Genesis 37. Joseph was 17 years old. All right. Right after that, in verse five, it said, and Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it to his brothers. What was the first dream? We were all sheaves of wheat. I saw you bowing down to me. Isn't that that cool? Remember, what was it? Norman Vincent Peale wrote a book years ago called How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's not how you do it. (laughs) Because these are all his older brothers. He's the the runt. You guys are going to bow down to me. Ain't that cool? I'm going to be the CEO. Then it said he dreamed another dream. This was different. He dreamed about the sun and the stars. And they were all in orbit around him. He was the center of the universe. It's two totally different dreams. This is what it says in Genesis 41 and 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh the king. This is... Pharaoh has this dream, brings all these wise men out. I had a dream. I can't sleep. Tell me what it was. They say, well, tell us a dream. He said, well, that's the problem. I can't remember the dream. I want you to tell me what I dreamed, and then I want you to interpret it. 
<laughs> and they said, only somebody who's got the gods with them can do that. Well, they were almost right. It was God, not gods. And the butler goes, oh, I know a guy. And they bring Joseph in front of the king. He's 30 years old, which means he's been gone for 13 years. Remember the dream? Seven fat cows came out of the river. Seven skinny cows came out of the river. The skinny cows ate up the fat cows. You're going to have seven years of plenty. You're going to have seven years of famine. You better get ready now. Choose somebody who could start storing up your grain. And Pharaoh says, well, who in the world could I choose any better than you? And Joe said, great choice. Great choice. I agree with you, sir. Think of that. He puts his ring on his finger, puts his robe on him. You remember Joseph's daddy made him a coat of many colors and he lost that? You remember when Pharaoh's old lady tried to seduce Joseph? It said he left his coat in her hands. This guy's losing coats. And then Pharaoh gives him his own coat. There are going to be times in our life when it looks like you're going to lose your shirt because you've done what nothing but what's right. But if you continue serving the Lord with integrity, he's going to give you the robe and the ring. And he puts Joseph on his horse. They're riding through there and he's making people bow down. And somewhere in that crowd is Potiphar's old lady who's got to bow down to the very guy she put in prison on a trumped-up rape charge. So Joseph's 30 years old when he stands in front of the king. I know there's got to be seven years of plenty. So now, that's 20 years since he's seen his brothers. And it's obviously not the beginning of the famine. Let's just say it's in the middle. Let's say it's three years into the last seven years which means it's 23 years since he's seen his brothers. And this is what it says in Genesis 42. When his brothers walked into that room in Genesis 42 and 9, it says, and Joseph remembered the dreams, the dreams, because the, he knew, he knew. Them guys are going to come out here and bow down to me. And not only did he know that, the second dream had a son in it, a big planet. Not his mom and dad, it's his dad. Remember, Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin, his young brother. So his mom's out of the picture. But his vision did not include his mom, but included his dad. He knew that not only are my brothers going to come up there and bow down to me, ultimately, my family's going to bow down to me. That's exactly what happened. And, and it's like, I, I, it's, it's fascinating because he knew. And then it's 23 years. Something in those 23 years beat that dream out of his spirit. And he forgot it. He forgot it. But when they walked back in that room, He knew. He remembered the dream. 
the disciples. They put all their eggs in a basket called Jesus. He's going to throw off Roman rule and we're going to be the big shots. We're getting in on the bottom level of a massive thing here, you know. I remember years ago, I was a young preacher and this guy called me. Brother Hoffman, I want you to give me $1,000. I said, what? Give me $1,000. And he said, in six weeks, I'll give you $25,000 back. And I said, what? He said, it's called Friends Helping Friends. You give me $1,000 and I promise you in six weeks, I'll give you $25,000. And I said, I don't think so. He said, Brother Hoffman, I've already done this two times. I have $50,000 that was sent to me because he said, you can't lose, Brother Hoffman. And I said, Brother, somebody's losing. It might not be you. Somebody's losing. And he said, no, 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 no. Harold's here somewhere. Where you at? You usually sit over there. I can't see you there, Harold? Only other guy in this church named Harold. Are you there, Glenn? There he is. Is this on live stream? Just pause that thing for a minute. Pause that thing for a minute. Christmas Day when I got a 12-gauge pump gun. It's a big deal. Takes a long time to put five shells in a single shot. But with a pump gun, boom, 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 boom. And it served me well for a long time. And I was preaching in Illinois. And I went hunting with a couple fellas out there. And this guy had this gun, man. And I, 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 I said, what is that? He said, uh, that's an Italian over and under gun made by a company called Antonio Zoli. I knew about that gun. It was about 5,000 bucks. We got done hunting that day and he, he liked me and he said, Brother Hoffman, would you like to have that gun? And I said, oh yeah, but I said, I can't afford that gun. He said, you don't know how much I'll sell it to you for. I'm interested now. He said, I'll sell you the gun for a thousand bucks. So I said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you $200 now and I'll give you a hundred dollars a month. And in 10 months, I'll have you or eight months rather. I have you paid off. He said, I trust you deal. I said, will you let me have the gun even though it's not paid off? And he said, absolutely. I don't know if you know much about shotguns. Shotguns have something known as cast. There's a straight cast, there's a right cast, there's a left cast. It goes back to carriages back in England, whether you got on the right side or the left side. If you, if you shoot right-handed, most guys shoot a straight gun. But if you can spend some extra money, you can get a right cast gun. They bend the stock so that when you put it up, it automatically fits your right eye. 
So I took this gun home and I went in the woods and we, you call them partridge up here. We called them grouse. I didn't have a dog. This grouse just got up and I just threw up this gun, bam, and it was dead. I was really impressed with myself. I walked a little further and another one got up, bam, and it just, boom. I had three dead grouse. I took them home. I was so proud. You just don't do that where I lived. My dad, I wanted him to see these grouse that I had. He was thoroughly impressed that I had three grouse. And then he said, where'd you get that gun? And I said, I bought it from a man in Illinois. How much did you pay for it? $1,000. He said, nope. You ain't buying that gun. You take that gun back and you let that man keep your $200 and you give that gun back. You can't afford to buy that gun right now. I was heartbroken because the gun had a left cast to it. So when I put it up to my left eye, bam, it was like magic. (laughs) So I submitted to my dad. And I went back, gave the man the gun back. He gave me the 200 bucks. I didn't tell my dad I got the 200 bucks back. (laughs) Three years ago, I was in Illinois in a little town called Iola. And I was deer hunting. It would have maybe been four, right before COVID. And there was a pastor down there and he knew I was in the area. And one of his relatives was hunting with me and he said, ask Brother Hoffman if he'll speak for us Sunday. So my friend Phil came to me and I guess you can turn that live stream back on or whatever. And my friend Phil Hawley came to me and he said, look, would you speak for these people? And I said, oh man, I preach all year long. I, I really just came down here to hunt. And he said, I, I would consider it a personal favor if you'd speak for these people. I said, okay. So I didn't have a suit. I didn't have a tie, nothing. I just, whatever. Went there and preached. They were impressed. Thought it was a big deal. The big preacher from Detroit was preaching for them. So every time I'd hunt down there, they'd find me. <laughs> We were fishing years ago up in Bisco. This lady found out I was a pastor and she said, we have a little church here. Would you preach for us Sunday? And I said, no, I won't. (laughs) She said, why? I said, I came to fish. I didn't come to preach. I preach all the time. I came up here to get away from preaching. All I wanted to do, I used to go to this meeting called Because of the Times. They asked me, are, 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 where are you going to be? I said, I got a conference I have to be at at Canada. And they said, really? I said, it's called Because of the Fish. That's what it's called. <laughs> and that lady said, we just had our largest attendance at this church. I said, really? She said, yep, we gave away free beer. And she said, we had our best. She said, you know, Jesus turned water into wine. I said, yes, ma'am. I, I'm still not preaching. I, whatever, the pastor's wife died. 
And he called me and he said, would you speak at my wife's funeral? And, and I said, Brother Dury, I, I, I haven't known you folks very long. And I, I feel like I would be disingenuous. I, I, he said, I'm asking you, please, would you speak for my wife's funeral? I said, okay. So I went down there and that place, you can understand, the whole, the whole county has less than 200 people in the whole county. He's got 250 people in the church. Not for the wet, for the funeral. I mean, that's what they have every Sunday. I mean, it's probably the largest church per capita in the UPC. It's amazing what he's done. And so they went to pay me, and I said, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. So I had this guy I met down there, and uh, I call him the mayor of Iuka. Lloyd Holly is his name. I wish you could meet Lloyd. Lloyd's an, a very interesting guy. Has a beautiful voice. Travels all over singing with a gospel group. Very interesting guy. But he's a heathen. And uh, I was at his house one time and he said, I, my daddy gave me some guns. Would you, man, I'd like to sell them. Would you, would you? I said, okay, show me what you got. And he pulled this gun out of the safe. And I knew immediately what that gun was. And I said, where did you get that gun? And he said, my dad used to install satellite dishes on houses. And he put a satellite dish on a house and they didn't have enough cash. And he said, well, you got anything else to trade? And he said, we got a gun. We got a gun. He said, okay, give me what cash you got and I'll take the gun and we'll call it even. And when I saw that gun, I had seen that gun almost 45 years before. And how much do you want for it? And he quoted this huge price, and I said, oh, I can appreciate it, but I can't afford it. Last year, Brother Dury asked me, hey, I was in the area. He said, we're having a big cookout at the house. Come on over the house. We want to have, come on, we'll just have, so he was a great griller. I went there and had this great meal at his house. And he's got all these kids and grandkids, just whole tribe around him, man. And we're sitting there in the living room kind of burping and belching and trying to somehow get all that grub shaken down in our belly that we'd been gorging on for an hour. And he said, I forget what his daughter's name was. Go get that thing for Brother Hoffman, you know. And they came out and they brought me this box. And when I opened the box, this is what was in the box. This is the gun that I bought 45 years ago. The very same gun. And he said, you wouldn't take any money for my wife's funeral. Lloyd told me when you saw that gun, your eyes lit up. So I bought that gun from Lloyd, and I want you to have it as a gift for me. And every time I look at this gun, I remember when I tried my best to submit to my dad and say, okay, daddy. 
If that's what you say, then I'll submit to you. But see, this was meant to be mine. (laughs) And I thought I lost it, and I just forgot all about it. And all of a sudden, here it is in my house after all these years. And I just wonder how many things are in every one of our lives. Ladies and gentlemen, if it's meant to be yours, it's going to be yours. I don't care what happens. Will you stand? In Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for this day. I thank you for the privilege of being in your house today. I am so grateful to be with my brothers and my sisters. But this is not our house. This is your house. It's not our word. It's your word. We're filled with your spirit. We've been covered by your blood. We have been bound to your name. Everything about this thing. It's your church. It's your name. It's your word. It's your blood. Your spirit. There's only one thing you can accommodate and congratulate us on. Well done. Good and faithful servant. And I've lived long enough to know, Lord, that if you intend me to have something, if you care enough to saw that this stupid piece of plastic came back to me and this gun came back to me, I believe there are things that are far more valuable than this little plastic bow and this shotgun. That you, they were mine. That that woman I'm married to was destined to be my wife. And these children that I've been blessed with tended to be mine. That I'm the pastor of this place. And that doesn't make me anything special. But it does mean that I was here at the right moment at the right time. And I see it not only in my life, but in the lives of these people that are in this room right now. And in the destiny of this church as a whole. I believe we're going to build this building. And we're not just going to build a building, but we're going to fill it up. Because I really believe that's in your plan for us, Lord. And I don't care what comes and what rises against us. You said when the enemy rushes in like a flood, you'll raise up a standard against it. And you'll keep all that stuff out. You told Adam to keep the garden, to keep the garden. He was supposed to do more than dress it. He was supposed to do more than cut the weeds out. He was supposed to keep them critters out of there that weren't supposed to be in there. So there's only one way that serpent ever showed up, Lord. That's because Adam wasn't doing his job. But when that woman saw you years later, she said, it's the gardener. And just as sure as that first gardener failed, the last gardener has kept this garden to keep things out of our lives, Lord, to protect us from things, God, that should never be there. And I'm a very common man, but I pray once again for these sheep that you put under my care. But I curse anything, Lord, that would dare to try and strike them down. I call on the name of Jesus right now to do that which only you can do. Jesus Christ, a man approved of God by signs, wonders, and miracles. Lord Jesus, we are believing this is a place where you're going to do all three. We put this church and our lives in your hands and we're convinced, God, that what you intend for us to have, we're going to have it. 
regardless of what, because the enemy can't stop it from being in our possession. And we trust you and we believe you and we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Thank you for coming to Bible class. Hope it was worth your time. Greet one another. Say something good to one another. Encourage one another. Saturday, I have to be in Dwozhak. I'd ask you to pray for us. We're going to do the installation service for Brother and Sister Carver. Going to dedicate their children. It's Brother and Sister Parsons' daughter and son-in-law. So please keep us in your prayers. But uh, it's going to be a great week. Let's just go from this place and minister to people, all right? I love every one of you. Good night. Good night.